Well, we took some time during the Christmas season and looked at several aspects of the wonderful Christmas story. But prior to that, if you remember, we were going verse by verse through the book of Matthew. So we'll pick up today in Matthew chapter 8. And as you can turn in your Bibles there, I'll remind you that among other things, Matthew's theme is what? That Jesus is a king. And he's a different kind of king and he has a different kind of kingdom. That's why, again, the very first chapter of Matthew is all of that lineage to show us the kingdom of Jesus and who he is. And then the fact that John the Baptist has made so much of in the book of Matthew. He's the one who comes and prepares the way. He's the, the crier who comes before the king and, and uh, hails that the king is coming. And that's so important. And then, clearly, we see the wise men who come in the book of Matthew. These other kings come and bring these gifts to this new king. And then we see that glorious Sermon on the Mount where Jesus describes what it means to be part of his kingdom. And we're going to see throughout this book that Jesus is king over everything. He's over sickness and disease and death and life and nature. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So let's look together at chapter 8. And this morning, we're going to look at just a couple of verses. It's just one story, but a very unique story, a very interesting story about Jesus. He is in Capernaum. Now, if you were to travel to Israel, and I would encourage you to do that someday. I really would. If you were to travel to Israel and visit many different sites in Israel, one of the places you would likely go is the city of Capernaum. It's there. It's, a, it's an archaeological dig. It's not really a, a, an active city, but it is an actual place. And it's there on the beautiful coast of the Sea of Galilee. And you can go there. It has a little sign above it that says the city of Jesus. And, and sure enough, it's, it's a place where Jesus spent a lot of time. And there's a first century synagogue in Capernaum. And you can go there and you can stand on the steps, the, the ruins of that first century synagogue. And you can know with certainty as you stand on those steps in that first century synagogue that this was the place where Jesus spoke and taught. And right across the street was the house of Simon Peter. So it's a wonderful place to go. And, and once you've been there and you read this story, you, you realize the reality of that place and how these things truly did happen. So go with me to the little seaside village of Capernaum and we'll go together because something unique happened there after Jesus was there teaching in the synagogue. Verse 14 of chapter 8. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. And so she arose, and she began to serve him. I'm going to ask Tom, if you would, to pray that God would bless the preaching of his word to our hearts today, and especially to touch me as I seek to bring God's word. And again, to remember our Elm Grove brothers and sisters, a very difficult morning as they lost their pastor 40 plus years last night. Thanks, Tom. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that with just the touch of Jesus, we can be made well. We thank you that there is power in his name. So I come to you today and I lift up Lord Mark. I ask you to anoint him with your spirit, to empower him, that he may speak to us the words of God, that we have ears to hear and hearts to receive what you have for us. We thank you that your spirit works in and among us, 
trust the lives not only of us, us in this room, but throughout the world. And we thank you for churches around this land, around the world, that proclaim Jesus as your son, who sacrificed himself. Lord, we grieve mm -hmm. the members of Elm Grove this morning. Mm -hmm. But we celebrate and rejoice that you called one of yours home. Yes. Lord, may we follow his example to walk with Jesus to the very end. Mm -hmm. To look in anticipation of all that we believe in. Mm -hmm. For that faith to be made sight. For him to be rid of his sickness, mm -hmm. of his pain, and completely of his sin. Mm -hmm. yes. Washed in the blood of Christ, renewed day by day, and now he gets to see his Savior. Mm -hmm. Lord, may all of us look forward to that day mm -hmm. when we shed this world and see the one who gave his life for us. Mm -hmm. Be with us as we continue on and hear this message. May it not just speak to our hearts, but may it change our lives. Yes. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, my friend. The gospel writer Luke also records this story about Jesus in Capernaum and about Peter's mother-in-law. He records it in a similar way, in a similar fashion. It's recorded in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4. But I want to back up a minute, and I want to get some more context from Luke's Gospel. So in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, Let's look at what happens in verse 31. He went, in out, he went to Capernaum, a city of Galilee. He was teaching on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching. So here he is in this little town of Capernaum, and he's teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and they're all astonished at his teaching. Verse 33, And in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. He cried out with a loud voice, What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Well, that would have sure shaken up the service as that happened. This man with the demon cries out. Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. When the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. Verse 36, And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports went out about him into every place in that surrounding region. Verse 38, so that's just happened, this amazing, powerful display. In verse 38, and he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. And Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. And they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her, and he rebuked the fever, and it left her immediately. And she rose, and she began to serve him. Charles Spurgeon, when he unpacked this message, brought it in a very unique way, and I, I want to give some indication of that today is some of the things, he, the way he brought the message of this text. 
So it had just been a few moments earlier, right in the same town of Simon Peter's house, something amazing and fantastic had happened. And no doubt, Peter was, like so many people, not only astonished, but encouraged and enthused. And this is such good news. This one who was demon-possessed is now fine and well, and the demon is gone, and this Jesus from Nazareth speaks of one who has amazing authority. It's all good. What a glorious day. But then what happens? At the same time, there's sickness in Simon Peter's house. Sound familiar to you? It's the nature of life, isn't it? You can have some great things that can happen, some glorious things that can happen. You can have wonderful days and great things, but we all know, right, we're just one event away from another calamity. Just as our brother Howie shared a moment ago about the young man who died in his sleep last night. It says the pastor who died yesterday evening. Just as things may happen to you today that you're not prepared for or aware of, the uncertainty of life is all around us. And isn't it true sometimes, it seems like sometimes the most difficult things happen at the very moment that some of the best things are happening. Here, Jesus is in this town. It's a great day. Why does Peter have to be encumbered with a, a sick mother-in-law when Jesus is right there? Why, why, why couldn't Jesus keep that from happening? Why, why do these bad things have to happen? And indeed, indeed, when we look around in our life, sometimes we begin to ask those kinds of questions. And I just want you to know one thing from this text is that difficulties and challenges are part of natural life. They're always going to be there. And yes, you may have a glorious morning, but you don't know what's going to come in the afternoon. And likewise, sorrow and mourning and sickness and difficulties and challenges, they come to all of us. Even Simon Peter. <laughs> I mean, no doubt about it. When you look at the apostles, Peter is always the first one mentioned. Always. He had a very unique place in that list of 12 disciples. Certainly had a very unique place in Jesus' heart. Remember after Peter denied Jesus three times, Jesus met him there on that same Sea of Galilee coast and prepared breakfast for him after Jesus' resurrection. And three times Jesus asked him, Peter, do you love me? He gave Peter every opportunity to make up amends for what he had done, how much he loved Peter. But listen to me. The love he had for Peter didn't prevent sickness from coming to Peter's house. Challenges and difficulties are the nature of this life. And as Christians, we shouldn't be surprised when something difficult and challenging happens. So what happened? Well, the first thing, they went to Jesus and said, we need you to come. I want you to care for my mother-in-law. Listen, church, I don't want you to ever quit praying for one another. I don't want you to ever quit praying for those who are sick among us. I don't want you to ever quit lifting up people in prayer and sharing your prayer concerns, and especially when it comes to your family. Some of you have family members who are desperately ill and having all kinds of physical problems. Others have family members who are emotionally and, and, and challenged and are dealing with some real deep personality conflicts and relational breakdowns. Others of you have family members who have wandered far away from Christ or have never been there in the first place. Bring all of those cares to the Lord. Don't ever deny that he cares for you and he wants to know. And here, Peter and his family came to Jesus 
They didn't think Jesus was too busy. They didn't think he didn't care. They didn't want to bother him. They brought the care of their mother-in-law to the Lord. Oh, it's a glorious and a gracious thing that we have a God who hears our prayers. He absolutely hears you, church. When you have a problem, when you have a heartache, when you have a challenge, when you care for someone, when you have a family member you care for, go to him in prayer. Ask him. Intercede on their behalf. The fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. So the first thing is don't be surprised when difficulties come your way, even during good times. And don't think, well, something good's happened, so now nothing bad will happen. Secondly, when difficulties come, never hesitate to bring them to Jesus. And particularly when you're talking about your family. Lift them up to the Lord in prayer and ask him, and he will hear. But what he did, she had a fever. Now this is where Spurgeon takes a little bit of a different angle here. Look, it's very common in preaching and in, in, in doctrine and in, in, in studying the scripture that oftentimes illnesses and, and sin are, are sort of, there, there's a commonality there. We talk about leprosy, right? And you'll have how they touch the leper. We understand that particular leper, well, he had a disease, but we also know that that's indicative of how we have a disease, right? And our disease is sin. And just as the leper couldn't heal himself and death was obviously the only option for him until Jesus touched him, we understand that we have a disease worse than leprosy and sin and death is coming to us and condemnation and the only hope for us is what? A touch from Jesus. Blinded eyes. We are all blind, correct? But Jesus can touch those blinded eyes and make them see. Jesus can open our eyes so that we can see our sin and respond to him. Ears that can't hear. Jesus can open our ears physically so that we can hear, but also spiritually so that we can hear the Holy Spirit. And on and on it goes. So if we take that same kind of analogy, let's look at the fever. One thing about a fever, it's very common. <laughs> it's one of the most common symptoms of illness. She had a fever. And sometimes the fever can be slight and will pass, but you know sometimes the fever can be quite severe and lead to even death. And so there's an uncertainty about a fever, especially in this first century. And there's an uncertainty about the problems we face in our life. When something comes to us, as came to this mother-in-law, they weren't really sure whether it was something that would pass away in a day or two, or if she might pass away in a day or two. Isn't it true that sometimes the greatest fear we have is the unknown? Even as Christians, just not sure what's going to happen. We like to be in control, don't we? We like to have it all in control. We like to know what's going to happen. We don't like anything that we can't understand. And so sometimes when you look at this and you see that in this fever, they felt out of control. Sometimes that's how we are. Sometimes that's the nature of life. The other thing about fever, sometimes you bring it on yourself by the way you behave, by the way you live. You're careless. You're careless with the way you don't dress, the way you should dress to keep yourself warm. You're careless by the way you kind of hang out with people who might already be sick and you don't take a lot of care about that. You're careless about some of your behaviors. Sometimes the illnesses, the difficulties, the challenges that we bring to ourselves are just that. There are things we bring to ourselves. And we can look at it and go, look, my behavior has led me to this. So if you are lax in daily reading of the scripture, if you're lax in your commitment to Christ and his church, if you're laxed about your discipleship, you're going to be more susceptible to a fever, 
to, to a problem. To, you're going to bring some of that on yourself. Are you tracking with me there? So it's possible sometimes the diseases, the sicknesses, the spiritual ailments that we have are because of our behavior or the things we should have done that we didn't. And we have to own up to that. We have to be spiritually healthy. And that means we have to be spiritually disciplined. And none of us, especially some of us, especially me, we don't like to be disciplined. We like to live however we want to live and do whatever we want to do. Well, you can do that, but it's not a very healthy way to live. It's also not a very spiritually healthy way to live. Sometimes we have to say, well, if fever comes, and by fever I mean difficulties, challenges, problems, heartaches, breakdowns, whatever. Have we created an environment in our family? Have I created an environment in my life that have made me susceptible to that? Is my resistance lower because I'm not keeping up the way I need to keep up? I'm not doing the things I need to do to keep myself spiritually guided, spiritually guarded, spiritually healthy. So sometimes, saints, the fever is because of our behavior. But many times, saints, the fever has nothing to do with your behavior. It is just a fever. That, it is just life itself. You remember when... Uh, uh, Jonah was <laughs> running from God and he gets on that boat and all the sailors that are on the boat with him and they get caught up in the what? In the same storm that Jonah was in. They had nothing to do with that. They didn't do anything wrong. They just showed up to go to work that day like any other day, but they are almost ready to give up and they feel like their life has come to an end because the storm of Jonah. Sometimes the fevers we have, the difficulties, the challenges, the problems, the adversities we face, you can't put a direct connection to it. You can't say, well, it's because I didn't do this or because I did do that. It's not a direct result of any sin in your life or any lack of discipline or anything you've done. Rather, it's just the nature of life as it comes. That's probably most likely, as we see here in this text, it just came to Peter's mother-in-law on this day. Having been a pastor for over 40 years, I get a lot of questions about why things happen. The Bible is very silent oftentimes about the why. It speaks volumes about what now. What do we do when things happen? This side of heaven, it's not always really clear why these things happen. Very familiar story, again, in the book of Matthew where a tower has fallen on some, well, actually, there's a tragedy with, with and, and the, the people are asking Jesus about this tragedy of some Jews that were killed, and Jesus said, well, what about the tower that fell on some people? If you want to talk tragedies, what about those people who were killed when that building just collapsed? And they're all waiting, they are, for Jesus to give a reason why the tower collapsed on that particular group of people. Jesus doesn't give an answer to that. He simply says, but rather, you need to be prepared for what might happen to you. He doesn't give an answer. One day in heaven, we'll know all these answers, but he doesn't give one now. And so I don't know why sickness comes to this house and not that house. I don't know why death visits this family and not that family. I don't know why heartache and financial challenges visit this 
family and not that family. I don't know why fever comes here and not here. But I do know God is in control of it all. And I do know it all works together for his purpose and his, his plan. And ultimately even for our joy. Because the Apostle Paul makes it clear that all things will work together for our good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. Sometimes the fever is things we've done. And sometimes the fever is things we don't understand why it's coming. And I'm not altogether sure which one of those is easier to deal with. <laughs> I mean, you might think, well, it's easy to deal with the things that we've done. But boy, we can just feel so guilty and so broken that we feel so unworthy. And that's a whole other sermon there. God will forgive us. That's why we have the prayer of repentance every mo Sunday morning and the prayer of assurance that we've been forgiven every Sunday morning. Because Satan wants to tell us you've not been forgiven. God still remembers it. You still messed up. But then also those times when fever or difficulties come and we can't make any connection. What have I done? I've been faithful. I've been going to church. I've been reading my Bible. I've been giving sacrificially. And now all this stuff happens. Again, Jesus has been teaching in the synagogue there in town and, and casting out demons and good things are happening. And now my mother-in-law is maybe at the point of death this fever. Sometimes the fever has those causes. Let's look for a minute though about some of the symptoms of fever, symptoms of spiritual sickness. Sometimes with the fever, if you're like me, you become pretty self-absorbed and a, a pretty whiny. And, and you just focus in on yourself and, and you don't care about anybody else and you want everybody to have Feel sorry for you. Sometimes we look when sin comes into our life and we become challenged with that. Sometimes the first thing we do is we just we overestimate our value and our worth. And we want everybody to care about us, and we become a very difficult patient, if you will. Sometimes that's how fever affects us. We become very self-centered and feel very sorry for ourselves and have a lot of pity for ourselves. Sometimes when fever comes to us. We can become irritable, amen, <laughs> and grumpy and complaining. And that's how we deal with adversity. Sometimes we deal with it by overthinking ourselves and thinking more of ourselves than we should. Sometimes we deal with it by becoming irritable and complaining and griping and moaning and lashing out at even those we love and that we care for. Sometimes in certain kinds of fever, like yellow fever and stuff like that, you become incredibly thirsty. Try to find ways to fulfill that thirst and to take care of those needs in your life. And you're looking for, you know something's wrong, but you're trying to find some way to take care of it. And no matter what you do, you can't satisfy it. All of these things are the nature of a fallen, broken world in which we still live and in which we're still a part. I love the fact that when Tom prayed for the pastor who passed away last night, he said, among other things, today he is for the first time in his life, what? Sin free. This side of heaven, we all battle with disease, spiritual disease. And some of us handle it in one way and some of us handle it in another. All of us deal with fever in a different way. It has many different symptoms. No matter how we got it, no matter how we deal with it, no matter how it exhibits itself in our life, there is one cure for it, correct? It is Jesus Christ. So he, here comes Christ into the home, and they beseech him on behalf of their mother. And Jesus comes, and he touches her, and the fever leaves her immediately. Now look, 
When it comes to physical healing, I do believe God still has the power and the ability to heal if he chooses to do so for his glory and for his purpose. Totally do. And I can give you examples a few times in my life where I have seen God heal people. But it's not the common thing. It's not the normal thing. The normal process is that these bodies of ours are corrupt and we're going to die And this physical body cannot inherit the kingdom. The only way I can inherit the kingdom of God, the only way I can go to heaven, is for this corruption to put on incorruption and this mortal to put on immortality. So this body of mine and the body of yours, it's dying. But one day, (laughs) at the moment of our death, one day we're transformed. And at that moment, we are with the Lord. And one day, a trumpet will sound, and the Lord will return, and these bodies will come back to life, and and those who are dead in Christ will rise first, and this will all come about. It's an absolute certainty. Right now, today, He may choose to heal you physically for a time, but you and I both know, eventually, if the Lord doesn't return, it's a temporary physical healing. But He can do that. And he does it for his glory and for his purposes. And the book of James tells us to pray for those who are sick among us. We pray for healing. And again, church, we know if the healing doesn't come in this moment, it does come in eternity, right? Listen to me. Every Christian will have every disease removed. Every Christian will have every disease removed. There will be healing. But we also know this. When it comes to spiritual healing, that is absolutely a certainty. That the touch of Christ removes the sting of sin from us, removes the condemnation of sin from us, and the touch of Christ brings a peace that passes all understanding. I don't care where the fever comes from. I don't care whether you brought it on yourself and you're repentant of it, or it came from somewhere else and you don't understand it. I don't care what the fever might be, whether it's anxiety in your life or a broken relationship or a physical ailment or the loss of a loved one, whatever those kinds of calamities are coming and causing you to to, to lash out at people, causing you to turn in on yourself, causing you to lose your joy, causing you to be full of anxiety and fear and dread, whatever that is, I do know this, a touch of Jesus takes that away. You say, how can that be? It can be. Because he is all we need. As Corey Tinboom, who spent years in a concentration camp, so wonderfully said, there's no hole so deep that God's love is not deeper still. Doesn't matter how difficult your situation can be, Jesus can touch it and heal it and bring peace to you. Look, he doesn't calm every storm, but he brings peace to every sailor. The answer to your spiritual fever, the answer to your anxiety, the answer to your dread, the answer to your irritability, the answer to your fear, the answer to all of those things in your life, the broken relationships, the difficulties you have, all of those things. It's it's not like the woman who had the issue of blood and she spent everything she had at the hand of physicians and grew worse, not better. You can try everything in the world to numb the pain, everything in the world to make it go away, everything in the world to try to cover it up, every, spend all the money you want on trying to dull it. 
but it'll still be there. But the touch of the Savior, as he reaches out and tells you, I love you. I'll always love you. I'm preparing a place for you. I'll go, and where I am, you'll be also. I'll never leave you or forsake you here. I've sent the comfort of you. He'll walk alongside you. And listen to me, church. My grace is sufficient for whatever comes your way. Oh, the glorious touch of Christ. First and foremost, it heals us from our terminal disease of sin. Amen? Most of you here this morning have felt that touch. Most of you here this morning have been regenerate. You know that you were dead in your trespasses and sin. And Jesus Christ spoke to you and you responded in faith and he moved you from death to life. But that doesn't take us out of this world and we still have fevers that come our way. Fevers we bring along, fevers that come from some other reason. And just as Jesus was the answer for your ultimate sin problem, he's the answer for these spiritual fevers that come our way. And if we will call out to him, a touch of the risen Savior brings hope it brings joy. Listen, it brings a sense of perspective that there's no problem in life so great that God is not greater still. The resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. <clears throat> because we know that even though we may have these fevers, these challenges, these difficulties, we know on the certainty of God's word, he's doing a work in us even through them. They're all for a purpose. Do you understand that? They're all for a purpose. You've heard me say before. If you got a phone call today and you have a child and they told you your child had been in an accident and they had to have your kidney or your child was going to die. I mean, you would run to the hospital. You would say, you don't even have to use anesthetic. I don't care. Take my kidney. Take them both. The doctor would say, this is going to hurt. You're going to have, I don't care about the pain. I don't care about the recovery. I don't care about my life. I just want you to save my child. At that point, what you're saying is the pain is worth the cost because there's a purpose in the pain. I want you to know this morning, if you're a child of Christ and you're his focus of his love and affection, because of what he did on Calvary's cross for you, then you can know this, that whatever fever comes your way, there is a purpose in it to draw you to him, to blow away stuff that you shouldn't have in your life, to cause you to love him more, to cause you to love this world less. You may not see it at the moment you're in the fever, but trust me, in a way that only God can do, as I said before, the Apostle Paul said, he will work all things together for good even those difficult things. And one touch of Jesus is all it takes. He touched her. And immediately the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. Look, I'm telling you. It doesn't mean necessarily... She, she got a fever some other time, amen, and died. She's not living today here on earth, right? But at that moment, she was healed. This morning, some of you need that touch of Jesus. Some of you have this spiritual fever. You've got anxiety. You've got fear. You've got doubt. Some of you have problems that maybe no one knows about but you. 
there isn't any problem so big that your Savior isn't bigger. And just one touch from his wonderful hand can make all the difference. Charles Spurgeon. If the heart be heavy with grief, he can balance it with consolation. The next thing Jesus did to her after he touched her was to raise her up. You must have felt when lying very ill as if you were buried in that bed of yours. So the Savior gave her his hand and he lifted her up. Can't lift yourself up. He lifted her up. She didn't think she could rise, but as she sat up, he pulled her up. And then he gave her an instant cure. And at the same time, renewed her strength. No trace of her fever remained. She was perfectly well. Her instinct as, her, as a mother was to serve. So she rose at once and began to prepare a meal for her benefactor and for his disciples. Oh, that you doubting ones, you fevered ones, might at once be cured and lifted up so that you would immediately set about serving the Lord and ministering to those around you. Come, let us be as happy as ever we can be and as useful as it is in our lives, in our power to be, and may the fever never visit us like that again. On the contrary, as you go home, you say, I must minister unto Jesus because he has driven out my cares and my fears. He has soothed my mind and therefore out of love I will spend and be spent to praise him. May God bless you for the Savior's sake. May that be what we do. May we look to him to heal the spiritual sicknesses in our life. Look to his strength to raise us up. And when we are raised up and we are returned, may we want to serve him and serve his members and serve his church in a glorious way. Heavenly Father, how I thank you for this story. I thank you for healing Peter's mother-in-law. I thank you for those in this room who have felt the touch of Jesus in their life numerous times. And Lord, so many of us in this room this morning need it again we battle these spiritual fevers on a daily basis. Lord, may we look to you, the author and the finisher of our faith, to heal us once again. Lord, raise us up, not in our strength, but in your strength, so that we can serve and you and love you and your church and your family. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.